0: The following is a message from Reverend Ken Melden of Wellsprings Congregation. I don't know how many of you have ever heard something like this in a hospital. So, yes, some hospitals play that over their uh, public address system when a new baby is born. There is, um, blessedly, uh, fortunately, no version of that when someone dies in a hospital. That would be disturbing. The closest equivalent to that would be when they call a cold blue. That's kind of the equivalent of like a, you know, wake you up. The equivalent of, like, the beginning of Beethoven's Fifth. Hospital is one of the few places left in our society, in our culture, as many of us live within it, in which death and birth actually happen under the exact same roof. And it makes sense, not just because they are treating people there, but that actually the word hospital comes from a much older word. And it's a word we mention every week here at Wellsprings. Hospitality. The hospitality to be able to receive each other, receive this life in the fullness of who we are and pay attention to it all. When we can practice real hospitality with birth and with death, with beginnings and with endings and recognizing that the beginnings and endings are there all the way in between, not just at the actual birth, at the actual death, when we can open to this way the fullness of this life. What I've experienced over and over again is that there is this profound tenderness of the heart that shows up. That we can take a truly loving and have a truly loving awareness with the bookends of life. I've witnessed numerous times over my life, sometimes in the same day, seeing a newborn cradled in their parents' or beloved one's arms And later that same day, a body, just deceased, also cradled as well. Remember, about two decades ago, I mean, this was like like 20 years ago, I was doing my hospital chaplaincy in preparation for becoming an ordained minister. And I had been ministering uh, to and with a, a Muslim family. And the patriarch of this family had been in the hospital, and there was a hope that he would survive, but he did not. When he died, I was able to have the gift of witnessing the family lovingly, almost caressingly, clean all parts of that person's body, who was beloved to them, washed down the entire body. And then, in I think the cleanest sheets that I have ever seen, wrap that person beloved to them up. I thought so often if we're loved in this life, we're born into this life swaddled. (laughs) And sometimes if we're beloved in this life, we leave it. Also swaddled, held, an expression of this care that can hold us. What I remember from experiences of seeing swaddling of the beginning of life and at the end of life is that really the most powerful spirituality never skips the body. I would say especially um, be suspect, if not have some deep suspicion, if not fear <laughs> of spiritualities that tell us disregard the body or fly over the body or mistrust it. See, because when we split off care from the body versus the soul or the soul versus the body, we end up caring for neither. So often in our culture, you know, we, we, we don't really love the body too much. <laughs> we idealize it. We fetishize it. We hate it. We try to form it, shape it, sculpt it. But how often to just love the body? I think these are all, on certain levels, manifestations of the fear that we can't control it. And if we can't control something, then it might remind us that maybe we're not quite as powerful as we thought we are. In our culture, there's all this stuff, this objectification of the body, the worshipping of some bodies. Look like this body. This is the ideal body. This is the one you want to get to. Don't look like that body. Fear that body. Loathe that body. There is, of course, no love in this way of opening to the bodies that are right in front of us just as they are. I heard the story growing up. I put it in the kind of ongoing repository of uh, Jewish humor. And it's about a couple who have spent maybe six decades together, sixty years together. A husband and a wife. And the wife is in the hospital and had hoped for a cure from her colon cancer but sadly there was no cure to be found and she was coming to the end of her life and so husband and wife sat there just wanting to soak up as much of their presence as they could as they had left and at one point the medical professionals came in and they said uh excuse me sir wife was kind of napping not totally there in some ways not quite conscious excuse me sir we have to we have to change your wife's dressing we have to change your wife's bandages so um you can leave now the man said taking his wife's hand this tushy and i have been rich together and we've been poor together we have had devastatingly sad times together this tushy and i and we have had wonderful happy times together I'm going to stay with this tushy. (laughs) And he grasped her hand even tighter. And he stayed. Fearing the body, idealizing the body, means we can't love the body. Sometimes the bodies we're closest to. I joked at the start of this uh, series about death. The end is where we start from. The many you know, the big deaths and the little ones, the little endings within our lives, that it was inspired by a message that I gave last year in a series Reverend Lee and I did about the wisdom in kids literature by the book Everybody Poops. And, you know, I'm not just trying to, uh, you know, say, ooh, we can talk about scatological stuff in church, although we can. Um, but it's really not a joke at all, because if we can just accept that everybody poops and everybody has a body, then that's the opening to start to love the bodies as they are. As we are. Instead of, uh, for example, uh, unfortunately doing like this that happened this past week. Now, I am not endorsing that particular candidate at that particular rally because maybe you heard about this story. And yes, that is a woman breastfeeding. Shouting out at the top of her lungs in enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. I did not give you any warning that I would be showing a woman breastfeeding today because that would be contributing to the stigmatization of the body that we already have so much of. I mean, you probably have been reading about at times that there's all this controversy about breastfeeding in social media. And I know actually many of you have made very strong cases as to why this contributes to shame, why this contributes to the isolation of who we are. And so I shared that with you today. Unfortunately, also to say that when this story popped up in social media, this particular woman received death threats. Shaming. How dare you? When we idealize birth or death into something that is not real, we cannot love our lives. I mean, there's a desire, right? There's a desire for a cleanliness, for an orderliness that becomes so clean it ends up dirty. It ends up making more messes. Sometimes in catastrophic ways. We're seeing it and we're hearing it right now in our politics. This fear of the them, the other, the dirty ones, the ones if we only excise from this country, that somehow all the rest of us will be fine. It is dangerous. It always ends in suffering. And hopefully, if we're wise enough, it will not have to be taken to its logical extreme. There's a reason why they call it ethnic cleansing. A clean so clean that it ends up dirty. The truth is, it's not just politically it also shows up spiritually, it also shows up in our lives. We, you know, we just want peace so badly. Just recognize what it's like when peace gets disturbed, <laughs> when our expectations that things should be one way and they turn out another way. Life gives us so many lessons to do that over and over and over again. <laughs> Worship services are not supposed to be somber affairs in which everyone sits there saying, but it does show up spiritually it shows up a uh, story I heard a number of years ago when I really started to take my own embodied, my own incarnated spirituality much more seriously. And so I started to really commit to an ongoing uh, yoga practice. And I heard this story from someone associated with a group that I was in where, uh, at the end of a particularly vigorous practice one day, um, she was into, uh, Shavasana, uh, Resting pose. By the way, corpse pose as well, too. Not to put too fine a point on it. And she was, ah, oh. I didn't get much sleep last night, so sorry, you know. Ah. Ah. There she was. Mm -hmm. Final resting pose. Feeling her body held, swaddled by the ground. No effort in this moment. Just... Breathing in and breathing out, resting ever deeper she was. Breathing in and releasing, breathing in and breathing out, just resting until finally, yes, she fell asleep and started snoring in the middle of final resting pose. She didn't even recognize that she was sleeping until she felt the movement of the bodies around her at the conclusion of the class. And so she gently rolled over, pulled herself up into seated Position, and before she was even like quite standing, this woman, uh, fellow student across the room from her, approached her with like anger in her eyes. Said, How dare you fall asleep during my shavasana? (laughs) How dare you fall asleep during my peace? Uh, Someone I, I Met recently uh, said uh, such people are violently nonviolent. You know, sometimes we meet them. They're all like peace and light until something goes wrong. And then now comes the fury, this desire for orderliness. And by the way, I, I know people whose like hands can barely reach their knees at yoga and they get the practice. They get the practice it's all about opening the heart, growing this flexibility of psyche and soul. And I know people whose hands can reach all the way down to the ground, as mine almost can today, but are so rigid in heart that they don't get the practice at all. This resistance to the real, to the mess, it is a manifestation on a certain level of wanting life to not make us so vulnerable. But the truth is, there's no way to escape our vulnerability because if we do or we want to we will miss connection with the tender fragile parts of ourselves especially of our bodies that connect us to all life everywhere And it is the surest way I know to grow the heart of compassion that we were born with it is unfortunately the surest way I know this estrangement from life to wind up at war with ourselves thinking that somehow we don't belong I got a reminder of this this past uh, Sunday. I was away, as some of you know, at a friend's uh, congregation in a uh, small town called Lincoln, outside of Boston. Very staid, very proper, wonderful church, wonderful people. Um, and the truth is, whenever I go to Boston, especially in an official capacity, like a, a ministerial kind of capacity, I start to get a little bit, I uh, start to get a little allergic I, 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 you see because not because i'm i 'm rejecting anything well, maybe other than myself, because the truth is when I go back to Boston in ministerial capacity, I remember that a couple decades ago I'm not going to mention anyone by name. Um, But I was actually not received with that much hospitality by the powers that be at the time. It was very much at that moment, the director of ministry, the department of ministry in our denomination, was very much an old boys club, and I guess I didn't measure up in some ways. And so I didn't get a lot of help when I was searching for my first congregation. I guess I didn't play the game enough. Whatever the game was to play, I'm not terribly political. I'd be a terrible politician. Thankfully. (laughs) And actually, I'm really grateful that that happened because it opened up this whole avenue of like only serving new congregations. And that's turned out really well for me, like serving things that are, quote unquote, on the periphery. And the truth is, though, you know, I've always had this anxiety about not quite measuring up this anxiety about not belonging. And so I go up to Boston and everything's all staid, and I'm wearing a suit and I'm wearing a robe. I did not look like this last week. But the truth is, my friend, who's very well respected by many of our friends, many of our colleagues, invited me not just to preach that Sunday in his pulpit, but to give the charge to the minister, which is in many ways the most sacred aspect of a service of ordination of installation. So it's like, rationally, I should have known I belonged, Right. This is not rational stuff, folks. <laughs> and so my friend, Reverend Manish, maybe recognizing that, you know, I have some anxiety in my life, particularly around belonging. He said, would you like to have an audience? Would you like to have a visitation with my spiritual teacher? See, my friend, Reverend Manish, his core teacher is a shaman from Native American tradition. This fellow, Wolf Martinez, lives in Santa Fe. Beautiful guy, beautiful teacher. And I... Uh, Walked into this meeting, running fifteen minutes late on the day before the installation, this day before Sunday, feeling all this nervous energy and he asked, What's up? And I said, I'm feeling really nervous. And so he just started smudging me. You know, you ever get smudged, you know, the smoke, and it smells so much like marijuana. I did not inhale. It's not marijuana. But I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I was there and I was present and just being smudged, is like I just the body, right? Just felt some of that anxiety. Start to leave. Maybe it was re- being received with so much hospitality, with so much grace. And he did some body work on me as well, too. Had me recognize some of the ways in which I was tight. We just started talking. And in his language, the, the language of his spiritual tradition, he just started reflecting back to me that his experience of what is called great spirits in his tradition is that we can't think our way into Belonging everything and everyone belongs already we're here we belong and by the way he didn't try to argue me out of or into anything maybe it was the smudging maybe it was the body work maybe it was be received being received by someone with so much grace and hospitality that I just felt it all wash away and it wasn't like I belong no it was like eh, I'm here that's good enough and while we were talking, he said, how's this, how's this sitting with you? How's this, how's this sitting with you all right? You feeling maybe a little bit more peace? And I said, yeah. Because the truth is, everything he was sharing to me, the language might have been somewhat different than my own, but he was reminding me of what I knew, of what I actually do believe in my heart, that we are all already belonging. And I said, but it's not just a reminder. I said, it's more like a remembering. And he started shaking his head because he got exactly what I was getting at. See that word remember that often we think has to do with remembering facts from way back when or some other time. Do you remember when that happened? That's part of it. But remembering is about integration. Bringing the parts of our lives back together, especially when we might feel fragmentary or as if we do not belong. When we have believed, unfortunately, the truth, of that old nursery rhyme of Humpty Dumpty. And we feel that there is no putting ourselves back together. And so we fight and we fight and we fight and we bring in all the royal king's forces to try and put us back together. And that does not do it. But simply being present. Simply making space. Remembering that if we are here, we belong. Even sometimes with the broken places or the hurting places or the death places or the ending places. Present with it all. Making space for the acceptable and what we think is the unacceptable, the beginnings and the endings, the births and the deaths. This capacity to make space makes me think particularly with birth and death, of a picture of my father. A picture of my father that was taken about a quarter century ago. It's a picture of my father cradling in his arms his one-week-old grandson, my nephew Benjamin. And it's a beautiful picture, as so many pictures of people holding newborns are beautiful. Beautiful moves the heart just almost effortlessly naturally. But there's a context to this photo which is that 10 days before this photo was taken my father had lost the love of his life. His wife. My mom. At 47 years old, just barely a year older than I am right now doesn't quite capture that, although if you know the story, you can see it on my dad's face, that complexity, that challenge, that heartbreak, and also the love, the awe, the joy of holding his first grandson. And after he had handed Benjamin back to his mom, my sister, my dad said something like, I don't know how to do this. Like, hold it all together. And I didn't have an answer for him because I didn't have a clue either. So I did the best I could, which was give him a hug. About a quarter century later, I still don't have much more of a clue. But I think there's something that points in that direction of how to hold it all together. Which is that we cannot make this life flawless We can only receive this life whole. The light and the shadow, the birth and the death, the beginnings and the endings. There is no way to make this life flawless. We can only receive this life whole. In this way, there is that great power of seeing and naming what is real. And being able to look upon it all. It is in some ways like a reversal in a different direction of the emperor's new clothes. Remember that one? It's kind of a good story about being cynical about politicians. Look, everyone's saying his new clothes are amazing. He's naked. (laughs) But this in a positive way. If we can look upon our lives with all the vulnerability, even the nakedness, and be unashamed, seeing the realness of our bodies, our hearts, our lives, then we can be present with it all. It is expressed so often I would say, has to be expressed so often with our bodies. Kind of like this way of remembering. If you remember this from this movie, remember Stand By Me? Now, this story, it's a story by Stephen King called The Body. It is about the first time in these young boys' lives when they've encountered death. When they are recognizing that this comes to an end, these preteens coming to know that, hey, sometimes life is not easy. And because they're preteen boys and they're off on this quest, this great spiritual quest, this journey to find a body that they hear is rumored of a boy slightly older than themselves who've been killed because they are teenage boys, they argue with each other a lot. And get into a lot of tussles and a lot of scrapes. But here's the great thing. They've got an amazing remembering practice. And I think you know how it goes. And I'm going to do it right now with my wife. Skin it. Good practice to remember with the people closest to us. (laughs) When, not if, we hurt, disappoint each other. Skin it. Skin it. I'm going to disappoint you. You're going to disappoint me. Skin it. (laughs) Let's remember that out of the way. There we go. By the way, you all can start doing this. It's not a one way thing. (laughs) Skin it. This is why we come here. This is, by the way, why we have membership in Wellsprings. It's not to join and put your name in the book and you get to call yourself a member of Wellsprings. Although I love that those of you who are here who are members call yourself members of Wellsprings. But it's not about that. It's that being a member of this congregation or showing up in any capacity here is a presence practice. It is a way to remember ourselves, especially when we feel that we might be coming apart at the seams. Because the truth is, simply by showing up, simply by being here, we are being witnesses to our lives and each other's lives. We are being witnesses to the fact that right now in this room, whether it's the big D death, Or the little deaths and endings of our lives. Something right now for someone, perhaps many someones in this room, is coming to an end. And right now in this room, something for some of you, perhaps many of you, is starting, is beginning. This is what it means to show up. To engage this presence practice. To skin it with each other. And to recognize that we can... Slow down long enough to look someone else in the eyes and ask, how are you doing? And give them time and space enough to answer honestly and to be willing to receive them exactly as they are, just as we would hope we would be received. Membership, showing up is a presence practice. So we can skin it. Embody our highest ideals. Become the people who we wish to be. Show up and let ourselves be seen. Dying, being born, happy, sad. All of it. May you show up in your skin today, my friends. May you embody the truth of your life. Amen. May you live in blessing. Pray with me, please. A great teacher once said, these are the only hands that God has. These hands, these hearts, these lips, these eyes, these legs. We are the body of the universe. Through us flows it all. We can open to that flow or we can think somehow that we could stop it, get out ahead of it. But instead, may we recognize that life itself is the ultimate presence practice. That we can be here, grow our hearts, witness the birth death, and everything in between. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters UU.org. dot O-R-G.